0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris, welcome to episode 172 of X-Lapsed, where uh, I am fresh back from the, uh, the comic shop here. I was chasing some books down that, uh, you know, I probably really didn't need to chase down. Um, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, toward the end of the episode, though. Um, today, we're going a little bit off the beaten path here, and I think uh, the, beat, the off the beaten path is going to be our regular path for the next uh, handful of episodes, anyway. Today we're going to take a look at two stories from It's either Marvel Voices or Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices, number one This had a January 2021 cover date And the two stories we're going to be focusing on today are Multifaceted, starring Mirage, or featuring Mirage And Blue Moon, featuring Silver Fox Writers Darcy Little Badger and Stephen Graham Jones Art, Kyle Charles and David Butler I'm sorry, David Cutler Inks Roberto Poggi, colors Felipe Sobraro and Chris Peter, letters VCs Ariana Marr, designs Selena Mahina, edits Sarah Brunstad, Todd, uh, Tom Brevort, easy for me to say, and C.B. Sobalski, With special thanks to Angelique Roque. Uh, cover price $4.99. This one went on sale November 18th of 2021. Now let's get into it here. We're going to start with multifaceted featuring Mirage. This is by Darcy Little Badger, Kyle Charles, and Felipe Sobriro. Now, we open in Yavapai County, Arizona, at a a fairgrounds. And it's time for the annual pumpkin contest, where Miss DeLeon has won for the nth year running. Uh, She's won a lot of years in a row. Her pumpkin this year is an absolute whopper. Now, while she and her two sons celebrate, a couple of jerky teens lament the fact that someone, quote, off the res, unquote, keeps showing up to win the pumpkin contest. The jerky girl asks the jerky boy if there's anything his father can do to stop this Uh, His father is the sheriff of the area The jerky boy says they ain't breaking any laws, so there's nothing his dad can do And DeLeon and grandsons are then shown carrying their pumpkin home in a wheelbarrow Just then, the jerky boy, who in the past five seconds managed to add a pocket to his t-shirt And shave the back of his head, rushes them, swiping Grandma's pocketbook Now, one of the grandsons grabs him, but gets elbowed in the mush. Grandma pleads with the young hooligan to leave them be. Meanwhile, the other grandson, Julius, reveals himself as being a mutant. His power appears to be that he can, like, manifest hellish beasts, which he sicks on the sheriff's son. We jump ahead two days, and Danny Moonstar and Rain Sinclair have arrived at the fairgrounds seems Julius has vanished into the night and is currently somewhere in the Arizona desert. Rain wonders why they're here and, you know, not call me Kate's marauders as they're the, you know, quote, mutant rescue crew. Which I guess is fairly accurate, if not a bit of an oversimplification. Uh, The marauders are usually in it to uh, rescue refugees and bring them to Krakoa. This, at the moment, is a, you know, missing child case. Danny asserts that, uh, well, this case is personal. Julius' tribe reached out to her specifically to find and protect him. We learn that the police—remember that Jerky Boy is the sheriff's son— they're already searching for Julius, so it's uh, a race against several clocks here. Danny and Rain have to contend with both the brutal desert climate as well as the police. Well, before we know it, our heroes are in the desert trying to track the missing mutant boy down. Suddenly, they're attacked by one of those nightmarish beasties. And it kind of looks like a fun-sized Predator X, if you remember those from, uh... Was it Second Coming or Messiah Complex? One of those. Hell, maybe both. Uh, Rain is able to tackle it, after which Danny is able to mentally soothe and tame it. And from this point on, they use the monster as a mount. But, since this is an anthology short, it's not all that long of a trip. Danny and Rain come upon an abandoned mineshaft and assume that this is where Julius has got to be hiding himself out. Danny approaches, and uh, those suspicions are confirmed because she is swarmed by some construct bats, to which Danny's able to use her powers to deflect them. Now, this prompts Julius to call out to her because uh, could she be just like him? Well, yeah, kinda. I mean, they're both mutants. They've got different powers, but they're both mutants. Danny and Julius talk for a bit, and it leads to uh, kind of like a sales pitch for him to come to Krakoa. You know, the, Danny's like, "Oh, this could be a community for you, and he won't have to deal with the struggles with his powers like she did as when she was a child." Um, then Julius asks the question that I believe that this entire story has been building to. He asks if Danny considers herself to be Cheyenne or Krakowin, to which she responds, "Both, and sometimes a Valkyrie too." She tells him that Krakoa isn't about assimilation, nor forgetting where you come from. She doesn't mention that it's kinda culty, but eh, details, right? Rain runs up to warn that they've been followed by the sheriff and some of his posse. And so, in order to show that they mean humans absolutely no harm, Danny draws her psychic bow and Rain transforms into her wolf-like form. It's worth noting here that the sheriff's posse is a fairly diverse group, which... I want to give the creative team some credit for. It seems the easy play here is just to have a bunch of angry and ignorant white dudes here, but here, it looks like only two of the five are angry, ignorant white dudes. So there you go. Uh, Danny approaches to inform Sheriff Tenenbaum that Julius is no longer his concern. He asserts that since Julius nearly killed his son, that he is his concern. Then, Julia sends out uh, one of his bat beasties to uh, clip an angry, ignorant white woman posse member. Uh, the sheriff threatens Danny and Rain, suggesting that they brought bows, arrows, and teeth to a gunfight. Danny shoots the pistol out of Tenenbaum's hand, Rain dropkicks another member of the posse, and it's before and before long, they've beaten up the entire law enforcement crew of the county. Which you'd think might lead to some problems, uh, but I guess, you know, Krakoan immunity, so we're good. We wrap up this story one week later at a party. Storm and Nightcrawler are visiting Julius's tribe while Danny and Rain look on. Danny proclaims that they're now officially standing on mutant-friendly land and hopes that more Native nations follow suit. Danny then gives Rain a teddy bear, and we are out of here. Now, to sidestep the possibility of my uh, confusing myself in covering two stories at once in our little... Review portion here I figured maybe we'll just talk about them As we do them So we'll talk about uh, this uh, This Danny and Rain story here We'll give some thoughts Um, I had a pretty good time with this story Um, It was very much An X-Men Unlimited story It felt very traditional um, While at the same time A little bit novel in that I I don't think I fully recovered from M-Day yet You know Where we weren't getting new mutants here And uh, now, I mean, we're getting a story here where we're meeting Julius, a brand new mutant Which would have been right at home in any sort of one-shot at any point from, you know, the mid-90s till, you know, 2004 Uh, This is a a story that you'd get It's a story that I'm sure we've seen various takes on plenty of times before Um, Doesn't make it a bad story Like I said, I I did enjoy this I thought it was a, a nice throwback to um, simpler X times, right? Where you can just have a story like this It doesn't need to be some you know, high concept thing It's just, uh, hey, there's a mutant child here and he needs our help And and I kind of like that It's uh, refreshingly traditional <laughs> uh, And also a little bit, like I said, it's a little bit novel In that uh, we are post-M-Day And... Uh, it's not, you know, completely out of the realm of possibilities to see a, uh, a brand new young mutant here I don't know if Julius is going to, uh, go to Krakoa If I were a betting man, I'd say we will probably never see him again Because, I mean, in keeping with the tradition here, that's usually how these stories go Uh, these stories introduce a character, they show us their powers, and then they, uh, they never come back Maybe I'll be wrong, who knows here, um I mentioned during the synopsis here that I was. Ref- it was refreshing to see um, that the posse wasn't just comprised of uh, old, blatantly racist, um, just ignorant white guys. Which, I mean, when we read these stories, that's usually what we get. So uh, definitely, I mean, it might sound like I'm being very, very sarcastic here, but I'm not. And uh, one last thing, I believe the question of whether or not Danny considered herself, herself to be a Cheyenne or a Krakoan was meant to be like kind of jaw-droppingly profound, but it you know I, I appreciate the way it was handled from there because I mean it could have been something that Danny took pause with, and sat and reflected here. But Danny is so sure of herself, and is so comfortable in her own skin and with her, uh, with her upbringing and where she is now that she can actually just come right back and say, "I'm both," you know, and it's not a it's not there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I'm also sometimes a Valkyrie, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I, I appreciated the way that the, the question, I feel, was supposed to be a lot heavier than the response Danny gave it. And Danny gave it a response that I think was uh, was very fitting, in that it wasn't overthought. She, she is what she is, and she's happy with that. So I, I like that answer, and I like this story. Um, the art here, it's worth noting, was also very, very good as well. Next up, I mean, Silver Fox. We're going to talk about Silver Fox in Blue Moon here. This is by Stephen Graham Jones, David Cutler, and Chris Peter. Now, this story takes place a long time ago, like way before Krakoa. However, since Silver Fox is a Wolverine character, and therefore maybe sort of kind of technically an X character and uh, we're here anyway, we're going to take a look at it. And it's also going to, to call back to... Uh, Some very seminal and maybe not so seminal (laughs) Wolverine stories here Just like we did with uh, Marvel's Voices, number one We talked about um, that just post-Origins Wolverine story where he met death So I think it's fair game to cover here And it definitely fits under our uh, X-Lapsed purview Now we open in the Northwest Territories And it's again back in the long ago Some soldiers happen across a grisly scene Where some fur trappers have been slaughtered The soldiers assume that some of the local natives did the deal, but, not wanting to let the fine furs go to waste, decide to drag the trapper's sled back to camp with them. Later that night, we learn that the sled had a pair of stowaways. And this is Silver Fox and her husband, Trigo. Now, I don't know if we've seen Trigo before, and I tried doing some research on him, but all I can find is this very issue. That doesn't mean he's never been mentioned before, but... This might just be his first and only appearance. Though, I could certainly be wrong. Now, they're here to take out the soldiers, as treaty negotiations had failed to this point. They're not here to slaughter anybody, but uh, they have other plans in mind. Now, together, they break into the camp's food supply, and they cut open a sack of flour. Here, Trigo exhibits a strange and kind of nebulous power. I'm not exactly sure what it means here. I think... I think he sees into the future. I think he can... he has visions. Now, the gimmick here looks like Silver Fox and Trigo are sabotaging this place, so that the soldiers won't be able to survive the winter here, leaving them either to retreat or perish. Now, Trigo's vision shows the soldiers turning on one another, probably since they are destroying the foodstuffs here and supplies won't be quite as plentiful during the winter. It's worth noting when Trigo's powers manifest, uh, it kind of looks like a, uh, like uh, night mask, night mask from the New Universe and later of the Avengers. He has like that like moon and star deal. Kind of looks like that. I don't know if that's on purpose or or what. Next, our pair cut through the dorms um, and uh, happen to wake up one of the soldiers. Silver Fox leaps onto him before he can make a peep. Then. I think Trigo uses his power to either kill or KO the uh, the soldier here. It's not entirely clear, or maybe I'm just denser that I give myself credit for. Whatever the case, Silver Fox sure looks disappointed and also kind of shocked. Trigo is smiling and now sports a post-invasion Maxwell Lord bloody nose. He tells Silver Fox not to give him that look. Outside, Trigo drops a Dia caucus into the camp's water well. Silver Fox tells him, yeah, she reminds him that they don't have to do this She then touches his face, which triggers another Nightmaskian vision He sees soldiers locked in a bloody and fiery battle with some locals Silver Fox tells him that this isn't worth it He disagrees, because they need to see this through to the end And so, their next stop is the cabin where the soldiers keep their guns Inside, they cover the arms with blankets and then set the blankets on fire Trigo says they're done. The camp will not be able to last the winter. No food, no water, no weapons. They'll never make it. With their mission complete, our pair go to leave. As they do, however, they run into an old woman approaching a sack while carrying a bucket. Silver Fox covers the old lady's mouth and tells her that, hey, we're just leaving, be quiet. The old lady instead begins to cry out for help, and so Silver Fox KOs her with a hard slap. They approach that sack and find that its contents are an adorable little tiny pup. Trigo uses his powers, showing a vision of the soldiers cooking and eating that very same pup. And so Silver Fox decides to keep it. As our heroes go to exit the camp, Silver Fox hands the puppy over to Trigo for a moment, which triggers his powers again, and now he sees what the future has in store for Silver Fox. He knows that she'll meet Logan. He knows that she'll have to shoot this dog When it goes rabid Which I can't believe they're making a reference to here Um, For folks who follow From Claremont to Claremont This was the story in Wolverine Volume 2, number 47 Better known as The Tracy Kins issue Which me and my pal Joe talked about uh, Last year It's a wild story And I I cannot believe (laughs) That we're calling back to it It's wild um, now, she'll all, he, uh, Trigo also knows that she will die at the hand of Sabretooth And this is uh, Wolverine, Volume 2, Number 10 Trigo posits that if the dog was still alive at that time Her death might have been averted We wrap up outside the camp With Silver Fox naming her new pet Blue And we know from the, the Tracykins issue That uh, they called it Old Blue So uh, it lived a long life before it, uh, before it went rapid But that is the end of our coverage of Marvel's Voices, Indigenous Voices Next episode, uh, we're, we're keeping off the beaten path here And like I said, I, I went to the shop today And bought something that I thought was um, timely But it's not uh, y- y- Your your host here does not know how to read a calendar So I saw a book that came out in February And I was like, oh, I didn't even realize this book came out in February and it's a Wolverine guest appearance in a couple of issues of Black Cat, and they take place on Madripoor, the Saul post-Hawkspox. So I figure, hey, cool, we get to we get to you know hop off the beaten path and check out something something special here. So I go looking for this book, and uh, I I can't find it anywhere. I'm like, this book just came out like six weeks ago. How come I can't find it? And then I asked the guy at the shop, I'm like, hey, do you have this issue? And he's like, he's like, that one came out last February. So, uh, yeah, it's not quite as timely (laughs) as I thought it was going to be. And I also will not be able to uh, complain that we're in Madripoor in three books in the very same month. But uh, we're still going to take a look at it because it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. So next episode is Black Cat number nine. But now let's wrap this one up and talk about the Silver Fox story here. Um, it's an anthology, right? I mean, it's an important anthology But uh, anthology stories are kind of hard to They don't feel as urgent as, uh, as our regular ongoings And certainly our events So it's, um, it's hard to assign importance On a narrative level For these stories here um, The Silver Fox story I thought it was a fine story um, It just feels, like I said before It feels like an X-Men Unlimited story and those stories were, they felt very inventory, they felt very stock um, And while sometimes they'll fill in some lore, kind of like we did here with Blue We know, we find out where where old Blue came from And we do get some callbacks to uh, Silver Fox's death at the hands of Sabretooth Also, of course, the tracykins issue, and I love that, I love that stuff a lot But again, it's, uh, I mean, it's X-Men Unlimited and that's one thing that you can either like, you can either not like. It's it's just there if you want it. And I'm happy we looked at it. I'm certainly happy we looked at it. It was fun, a fun couple of stories to discuss here. It just didn't really rock my socks as much as I'd hoped it might. But, uh, I mean, they're not all going to. Absolutely nothing wrong with the quality of these stories. They were both quite fun. They were both entertaining. They were both well-drawn. Just I didn't feel much of a sense of urgency. And, I mean... We're not always going to feel it. I I understand there's probably limitations to what uh, the creators are able to do insofar as making waves in a, uh, I think this might be a quarterly anthology, or maybe it's just a whenever they feel like it anthology. I don't know if there is an actual schedule for the Voices initiative. Um, We do have one more that's out right now. Uh, That's uh, Marvel Voices Legacy. And then I just put Marvel Voices Pride into my DCBS order. So we will have that one that we'll be covering as well. But I think that's probably all I have to say about this issue. Um, As always, I welcome any and all thoughts uh, from you all. And I look forward to hearing from you. Speaking of which, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got Damien talking about Sword Number 2, the uh, first King in Black issue. Damien says, Marvel Unlimited have finally added a new X-book, so here I am to to talk about Sword Number 2. I've talked about how some of the X-books seem designed to be loved by me, but this is truly the opposite. It features so many things that annoy me about comics. Firstly, we have the controlling Overlord character in Abigail Brand. She knows everything about everything and knows exactly what to do, when, and where. And, of course, she's a cynic. Criticizing anyone else but her. I think she's an overused trope and it annoys me. And you're, uh, that's <laughs> absolutely true. Um, it's one of the reasons I, I mean, I, I've talked about a few reasons why I was dreading discussing Sword here, uh, from creative to narrative, you know. Abigail Brand is definitely one of the things I was not looking forward to reading, um, and you know, I, I think about it, you know, and we have uh, we have tropes and we have character clusters and stuff like that, and I know people back in the day used to poke fun at Chris Claremont for leaning on the like the strong female archetype character, right? I mean, even back in the day as these books were coming out, uh, in some comics mags, uh, the writers and readers of the day would have a bit of fun with Claremont here. Like, there'd be articles that they would talk about a new hero, and then they'd be like a little insert that says, Chris Claremont says, is there any reason it can't be a woman? Like, uh, I guess that was just maybe something he would ask often. I don't know. But those those characters have managed to stand the test of time here. I mean, look at characters like Storm. Or Carol Danvers Sure, it hasn't always been a smooth ride, right? But uh, they're huge cornerstones of the Marvel Universe at this point Now, characters like Abigail Brand belong to a different character cluster to me uh, We got Brand, and of course we got Maria friggin' Hill uh, These are what I call, and this is an oversimplification, a gross oversimplification But this I call them Bendis women You know, they're overly snarky Everything is said with a bite of sarcasm And they're always the smartest people in the room And everybody has no choice but to defer to them It's definitely overused And yes, very, very annoying That said, I don't know if it's just been so long since I've read Abigail Brand But I feel like this version of Brand is maybe Maybe turned down a little bit from what she was back in the day I feel like she's not quite as horrible As I remember her being uh, probably around 20 2008 to 2010 or so Now Damien continues There's plenty of good characterization in here But I can't get over this hurdle I also feel like he's adding too many characters I was fascinated by the cast in issue one But he has to add Mentolo and Pybok and Sunfire I wanted more of Peepers and Wizkid Yes (laughs) There are a lot of characters here Um... And I'm really not uh, familiar enough with uh, Ewing's work To know whether or not he can uh, juggle such a large cast here And unfortunately, I mean, we're being swept right into a uh, Marvel Mass crossover So we're not going to find out for a little while From the looks of it here I think we have at least... I I think we might get back to regularly scheduled programming In Sword Number 5 or 6 So, um... It's a it's a stutter start. I, I think it might be too soon to um, really draw any conclusions on uh, his ability to to juggle this cast. But yeah, the the king and black thing is not doing this book a, a much of a service here. Damien continues, and then we have Venom. I didn't care when I bought Amazing Spider-Man number three hundred, and I still don't care. The only good version of the character was in Chris Giarrusso's bullpen bits cartoons, where he just always said brains. <laughs> and uh yeah that was i think that was around the turn of the century those uh bullpen bits and that was around the time where we as comics fans were all way too smart and sophisticated for uh silly 90s things like uh like venom and, and deadpool and uh and sabretooth and stuff like that and uh carnage and you know those those characters just never ever came back so i guess we uh we all uh got the last laugh there huh, didn't we uh, Damien continues. I had no idea that the venomized character was Cable. I took the "to me, my X-Men" as a suggestion that it was Professor Xavier. I know he's got a big gun and a giant sword, but I thought they were—I thought they were just because it's a Venom story. Therefore, nineties. Yeah. Um, to me, I—I I, I think I mentioned this during the discussion of the book, but I had just finished reading and covering the Extermination miniseries, and that first page with Cable. Uh, The Venomized Cable there um, Where it's not revealed to be Cable But it's, you know, we just know it's a guy Um, That reminded me a lot Of the opening pages of Extermination So I don't know if that was by design Or if it was just what my mind went to But I figured out It was Cable from that Or at least I was able to posit That it was Cable from that Um, And the To Me My X-Men line I mean, that's That's almost become a meme In and of itself here That's, uh That's not just for Professor X anymore, unfortunately. That's uh, to any chucklehead who wants to say it. Damien continues. I know you said every Marvel crossover, crossover is the same nowadays, but I'm seeing more similarities with old DC crossover Eclipse of the Darkness Within. I suppose I should be grateful they didn't stick a lump of plastic to the front cover. Oh boy. I mean, I wonder how many we should do like a uh, an you know, an informal poll here to see how many folks of our vintage or of just collecting of the collecting, you know, urge here. How many of us always put Eclipse of the Darkness within number 1 in the very front of their long boxes because it's got that, you know, lump of plastic on the front cover that will dent into whatever books in front of it. <laughs> I gotta assume a lot of us are that way That, that, that book is in the front of one of our long boxes In our collection for sure And certainly let's not give Marvel any ideas here Because, I mean, if they were to put any sort of plastic on a cover These things would be like $15 each And uh, I, I, could, I could certainly see it happening uh, Damien continues Very amusing hearing your reaction to the mention of the initiative Isn't it weird how these things pass from our memory? I wonder what the most forgettable crossover is I don't know <laughs> The initiative, oh boy That comes from, like That's post-Civil War, if I'm remembering correctly Where they were going to put Registered superheroes, one group Per state, right? So like every state would have their own little Grouping of the initiative The Avengers, the initiative groups And um, as I've talked about Several times uh, Civil War was the end of my Marvel zombiedom, And so Pretty much everything in the dawn of that, or the uh, the dusk of that, whatever came after it is what I'm trying to say, is uh, totally conflated and confused in my mind. Um, I would say from from Civil War to uh, Hox Pox, maybe, everything is kind of just confl- conflated and commingled and just in bunches. So yeah, it's... Yeah, these things just uh these go in one ear and out the other here. It's funny, I was talking about the forgettable crossovers here. It might have been during this episode where I was like, we're the only ones still talking about Empire. And I'm like, I can't even remember what came before Empire. And uh it wasn't until I was covering the issue of champions that I was reminded that like there was a dragon from something called War of the Realms. So I'm like, oh, I guess War of the Realms was before that. So uh yeah I don't I don't know any of these things. They're all they're all just so samey and they're all just I mean they follow the same story structure every single time. It's just so like blatant and I I can't believe that there are still people buying these core event miniseries here. Uh King and Black, I don't know how the sales are going, but uh people seem excited for it. I just don't understand <laughs> I don't understand how people are lining up to read the same thing over and over again. But then again, I mean, I'm in my... Am I, am I in my fourth decade as an X-Men fan? So, I mean, I, I've absolutely no room to talk here. Um, Damien wraps up with, Anyway, until I get a new black costume, make mine X-Labs. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I, I hate that they're taking so long to uh, to put these things on Unlimited. I don't know what they're dragging their feet for. Maybe it's... I don't know. I, I was going to say maybe it's because it's a, cause of the King in Black thing, but only a couple of our books are tying into that. So I don't know why they're dragging their feet. It really, really stinks, though. But uh, it's always wonderful to hear from you, I'm, and I was so happy to uh, to uh, see your message when I popped open my email this morning. So thank you so much. But that will do it for today. Um, now, if anyone else would like to write in and brighten my day, please, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter, at Ace Comics. Or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory@gmail.com at gmail.com. For blog posts and show notes, you can go over to chrissoninfiniteearths.com. We got our little Facebook group here that is 90s X-Men on Facebook, having some fun conversations there. We would love for you all to chime in. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. available anywhere you find noise. But that will wrap us up for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing this journey with me. And uh, till next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.